hiring somebody that's 10 years ahead of you is just not going to be useful to you. Even as an advisor, it's not helpful, really. You know, maybe they can think through some things. But, you know, hiring somebody that's two years ahead of you, two and a half, three years ahead of you, that's seen it from where you are to where they where they are now, super valuable. And then, you know, I always tell folks, like, I hire for grit. I don't, I don't need, I don't need polish. I need grit because this is, this gig is tough, right? Behind the scenes, it was a small group of people that were doing everything. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I want to know how this insane growth actually happened. What are you doing when no one's around, no one's looking? Are you just showing up and doing the minimum or are you approaching it like a pro? Be a student of the game. This episode is actually brought to you by our friends at Demandbase. Uh, Demandbase helps B2B companies hit their revenue goals using fewer resources. Now, how do they do that? Uh, They use the power of AI to identify and engage the accounts and buying groups most likely to purchase. They combine sales and marketing data with their own validated B2B data and then use AI to create account intelligence that informs every step of your buyer's journey. Uh, super accurate company contact, technographic engagement, and intent data right where you work every day. And you can work right within your CRM, engagement tools, browsers, literally anywhere you're doing your workflows. And it allows you to start spotting opportunities earlier and orchestrate smarter sales and marketing motions. Uh, and you can see this all live uh, at demandmace.com. That's demandbase.com. Uh, and check out their sales intelligence product tour. Uh, I think you'll be super impressed. Welcome back to the GTM Pods. As always, it's your host, Scott Barker. Thank you for hanging out with us for the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, as always, we bring on real operators who are still in the trenches, building, scaling businesses. And we try and just break down what really happens behind closed doors. There's a lot of glorified content out there where we get to see, you know, things after the fact, um, you know, the nice rosy version of, of how uh, companies are built, but it's oftentimes uh, a lot more messy. And we try and highlight that on this, this podcast and uh, super excited for this guest. I will give this guest um, the award for the most elusive podcast guest that we've uh, we've had on to date, um, which is totally fair uh, because he's actually busy doing the thing that he does, which is building companies. Uh, but I am joined by Scott Giffis. Scott, welcome, man. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Uh, and yes, yeah, sorry for being elusive. I think it's like two things, two parts of like being really busy and also wondering why people want to listen to me talk about anything, but uh, excited to get into it. Lots of fun stuff to talk about. It's funny to me hearing you say that. And obviously you're an incredibly humble guy. And uh, we did a little pre-meeting before this. And I was like, man, like, look at what you've done. We could talk about anything and people will want to uh, pick that brain of yours. Um you know, so for the listeners, and, and you'll know why I say that shortly. Um, so Scott is currently the uh, CEO of No Fraud. Um, he's also a limited partner in various funds, including GTM Fund. Thank you so much for the support, man. Um, and previous to that, was the president and COO at Frame.io, uh, uh, which was uh, bought by Adobe. Um, you were there through that, you know, acquisition. Uh, and then before that was the president of AdRoll. Uh, you were there for six years. Um, so those are some pretty 
behemoth roles, man. And I'm excited to to walk through it. But is there anything else people should know about Scott Giffis that I, I missed there? Uh, <clears throat> no, I mean, it's, it always sounds impressive when you say those things. Um, and I've, I've been really uh, impressed with all the all the listener all the guests you've had on the show and so you know excited and humbled to be here i, I think um other stuff to know i've got three fierce daughters uh ranging from 20 to 11 uh and so you know very proud proud of them and uh sort of personal responsibility to do my best in my little parts of the world to try to level the playing field that they're entering for the future in a, in a very crazy world right now. But no, other than that, um, geek out about all this stuff. So excited to get into it with you. Yeah. Awesome question. Cause I feel like I talk to a lot of, you know, ultra high performers, super lucky to, to have them on the podcast and be, you know, friends with a lot of them. And it's almost like two, two camps at one. It's like, they have kids and they're so stressed out. It's absolutely insane. of like balancing their, their work life with, you know, being a, a good dad or a good mom, um, you know, it seems like at least from the outside, you, you seem to have like always this like calm demeanor. You, you got things, you know, locked in. Um, how has it been for you balancing raising your three daughters? And during that whole time period, you can just like do the math. You were had these insane roles with an insane amount of responsibility. How have you managed to balance both without losing your mind. Yeah, not well. Um, not well <laughs> at all, I'd say. Uh, you have to ask them. You know, I, I always say I'm like a, a very below average uh, husband. I would say like an average. I try to be like an above average, like an average father. No, I mean, you know, you, you have to have... Um, folks have talked about this forever. I remember I, I saw Jack Welch on stage talking about this one time and you know, there's, there's really no such thing as balance. It's just choices. And um, my uh, our CEO at Nextroll, which is a company that own Adroll, Toby Gabriner, who's now running um, uh, Bitly, another another great New York based uh, SaaS company out there. Um, you know, he used to call it harmony. And I, I think you just have to sort of give yourself the freedom to lean into the areas that need you. I mean, it's it's frankly, it's it's like anything else in life. It's like running a company. I mean, you know. You're rarely what, what I think I what I tell and even for my friends I say I say to folks all the time I'm I'm not like a great like sunny weather friend and, and I'm not like a great sunny weather like person like, I'm built to handle problems I think but if shit's going down like I'm there I, I got you I'm 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 in it with you as a as a friend as a family member I, I think with the with the girls you know you just try to make the most of the times that you have so you you get real intentional about like. I try to be very present. I think I think if you ask folks even at work or whatever, if, I try not to be distracted when I'm in the moment. So if I'm with you, like we're talking here, I'm not really worried about all the shit that's going on at work or all the things going on in the world. Like we're here together. We're going to hang out. We're going to spend time, and and then afterwards we'll kind of move on. And I try to I try to make sure I do similar things with the family. COVID was awful. Obviously, the pandemic was was terrible. We lost a lot of uh, people during that time. But you know, on the uh, glass half full sort of side of the house. It was uh, an opportunity for me to really spend more time with my with my family and, and that kind of thing. So try to do a little bit better job balancing it. And then you have to make sure you're also prioritizing time. Like the hardest thing being from home is that there is no commute for you to decompress when you leave work. So you have to make sure you're budgeting in sort of buffers in your in your life so that you're 
you're able to transition and stay present. So I don't know. I would say like not well. I know people that do it much better than I do, but do try to make the most of the time that I have when I'm with my with my family, same as when I'm with peers or work or whatever it is. No, I like that. I feel like, you know, uh, 30 minutes when you can feel someone who's fully present and you have their undivided attention is worth so much more than like three hours, you know, of someone yeah. like being distracted or, or half in it. I feel I, what, I also resonate with the decompression time. I have, you know, my friends and, and family, usually if I go straight from work to like a function, I'll, I'll just say like, hey, I'm, I'm still in work mode. Like I, I have, they'll be like, what's wrong? Nothing is wrong. I'm just still in, in work yeah. mode. Just give me, give me a sec. So, my, when my, when like I, it was for a long time, I didn't even talk to home while I was at work because even like my voice would be different. You know, it's sort of like the girls would be like, yeah. are you, are you mad? And I'm like, no, I'm not mad. It's just, this is just like work mode. And I mean, like you said, and you know, so you have to do that. So, you know, again, I've been very fortunate in, in life. I have a gym in my house. So like, you know, after work, I'll go work out. Like that's, that's part of my regimen. And then that gives me, you know, even if it's a 30 minute run or something, it just gives me time to kind of transition uh, into, into being home. So I'm not bringing my work with me, even if it's just, you know, sitting out for dinner as a family. So, but <clears throat> I don't know. There's, there's a lot of smart people out there that talk about those things on a regular basis. They seem to have it put together better than I do. They, they talk about it well, anyway. Maybe we you nodded some <laughs> yeah, of yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we wouldn't be living it quite, uh, quite the same, but um, yeah. I love it. Well, man, I, I think, you know, having known you for, you know, a few years now and talked to you about a bunch of different things, it, one of the things I think you've done really well consistently is just like build great teams and surround yourself by great you know, leaders and, you know, set them up for success. So I want to kind of make that sort of the theme of this uh, conversation today. But before we get there, because um, this is more just, you know, man, I host this podcast. Sometimes I just get to ask questions that I'm just like curious about is I don't know a bunch about your time before Adderall. How did mm. you, I guess, like early on in your career, was there any impactful moments that we're like, man, I could run large-scale companies. I have leadership abilities. Like, th there's something that must have happened before you get some of these, you know, bigger sort of life-changing opportunities um, that allowed you to have the confidence to be able to take those roles. And then, because you're obviously continuously learning, even once you're in those roles. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm curious about that time period before. It's funny. I was talking. A friend a while back, and they were they were looking at making a career change, and they were looking at roles, and they're just like, ah, I just I don't think I'm qualified. And I and and they're like, how do you know when you're qualified? I was like, I don't think I've ever taken a job I was qualified for um, in my life. I, I just like always took a job that I was you know over my skis. I mean, my so I wanted to be a pro hockey player, and I made a concession with my with my dad, who you know, he's like, look, if you're going to go to college, like you got to go and get practical experience that you can fall back on. And the off chance that a kid from Jersey doesn't make it to the show, right? Which is, I think there's been two New Jersey players, maybe three to make it to the NHL. Um, and so I said, yeah, that's yeah, a good idea. And this goes back before there was Google just to really properly date myself. Uh, you know, and so I, I took, I took jobs um, and I got experience working for like a really small 
family office doing grunt work and research and, and things like that, and which back then meant going to a library or calling people out of a phone book. I mean, it was like just to really put things in perspective. And I sort of fell in love, like, you know, they invest in a lot of early stage companies, founders, and I just fell in love with that, that entire dynamic of somebody being a, you know, a deep expert, in a certain area, having passion for something, wanting to build it, and then quickly running into these roadblocks as they went around well, shit, how do I take this idea and turn it into a, a product, turn this product into a company, turn this company into like a real organization, right? A real business. And, um, and so I just got, I got into it and I, I had some really unique experiences early in my career, I, you know, and I've been in a ton of different industries from solar energy through, you know, HR, professional services, uh, IT, et cetera. I mean, it's just, just kind of run the gamut, um, leading up to, to AdRoll. And, I, 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 the sort of joke I always say to folks is I really, really only have a couple of skills. They just so happen to connect to running like a technology company. Like if I was sent back in time a hundred years, I'd be dead. I would just like, I would have no value off of the world. <laughs> I don't know what it would be. I mean, like, I don't know how to do a lot. And, and I, you know, I think about, um, like if you were to ask the least capable human on the planet to put together a bicycle and then you asked me to race that person to put together a bicycle, I'd finish like three days later than that person would finish. I mean, it'd be like, you know, it's just embarrassing. But what I, what I think I have been lucky enough to do is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid of taking risks or, or like challenges. In fact, I think it, it, it like compels me, but I'm also pretty quick to recognize what I, what I know and what I don't know. Like I, I've never, I've never had this curse of feeling threatened by people that are better than me. In fact, like it's sort of always been my ambition to have people that are better than me around me all the time. And I've always thought of my job is to sort of put the team together, make sure we're sort of organized and clear on why we're doing what we're doing together as a team. And I think I've, I've been good at that in my life. And I, and I think the only other piece I've been good at is because I, I spent so much time with, with early stage companies is sort of recognizing sort of the concentric circles of strategy as, as the things can unfold, like being able to connect the dots going forward around, okay, we're in this category today. This category becomes possible when these things become true. This, this becomes possible when these things become true. Um, and so I always just think in those, in those terms. And so, um, it's, it's enabled me to like hire great people, empower great people. And then over time you build, I like to believe a, a good positive reputation with folks. And I've been humbled at having a lot of really talented and smart people that I would happily go work for who have been happy to come and work with me multiple times in my career. And so that, that part's been really great and, and something, I, you know, something I'm really proud of, but I think I just sort of fell in love with running teams. You know, when I, I played sports as a kid, I was the oldest of five. I played sports as a kid. I always sort of was ended up in, you know, being captain of a team or, leading, leading our groups or whatever it was. I just have always enjoyed the, the sort of idea of bringing people together and, and helping them to, to do their best work. So I don't know, been lucky, I guess, in, in life that way. But I, I, I started out studying founders and builders and watching them navigate sort of challenges and building companies, trying to bring new things, new ideas to market, creating new spaces. And so I just sort of got a, a crash course in that early in my career. And then when I went through, uh, I, I did end up going to college when I went through college, I continued to work with that that group and I got to do more interesting things over time. I got into business development and then eventually I got deployed to go run parts of or, or entire companies as part of that. Um, and they were small businesses, you know, in every sense of the word. But, you know, the learning and growth just compounds as you kind of go through that, especially when you get to work in lots of different industries. I think it it helps you to really connect the dots. What are the common threads, you know, by stage, by challenge? And then what are the what are the sort of nuances that you have to, you have to imagine? So I, I say folks a lot, you know, 
there's some kind of an operating system that sits behind it all that powers 70% of the, of the playbook, right? And then there's some sort of application layer that you have to adjust or adapt based on the industry that you're in, the, the chat, the market you're serving, all the, all the complexity that comes with, you know, being in different unique spaces. Um, so that's sort of been the way that I work, but the common threads and common ingredients are certainly like build great teams, get really clear about why and how you work together and, you know, continue to sort of make improvements every day as a team, as a company, that's, those are, those are obvious, but common threads. And if you could fly back to Scott Giffis at, let's say, 27, and you know what you know now, you know what's coming in the future, what uh, what advice would you give to him? What career Ooh. advice? So many, so many pieces of advice. Uh, like skip tequila. It's probably not the move. <laughs> <laughs> Always? Always? No, actually, it's a lie. It's a bold-faced <laughs> lie because I love tequila. Um, but no, I think... Uh, <laughs> Honestly, the advice I'd have is, is like what you hear a lot of folks say, you know, um, I worried a lot at 27 about everything. I mean, I think I still do, you know, you, you sort of have this natural built in skepticism, like a healthy kind of pessimism that helps you really think through the downside. Cause it's easy to count the upside, right. But you have to really think through how do you mitigate risk as you go. And so, but I would worry so much about a lot. And I think, I mean, I, I still am ambitious, but I was, I was so ambitious back then. I think I probably, it's still, a, it's still a thing today, but I, I did not stop and celebrate almost ever. You know, it was the soonest, as soon as you hit the goal, you were on to the next goal. Frankly, oftentimes before you even achieved the goal, you were raising the bar for the next set of things you could go and do. And I think that that is really like a great, it motivates you. It drives you. It's, it's helpful, but I think you don't realize how damaging it is to yourself and to everybody around you. Um, your team, the people that care about you, that want you to be, like, you just, you gotta, you gotta really make sure that you're recognizing the progress you're making. You're, you're looking back and really taking stock of the growth that you're having, the lessons you've learned, even, even in failure, specifically in failure. Yeah. And just, just enjoying more of, of life along the way. You know, I, I think making time to, to really like appreciate the things is, is, I think it's just like a common life lesson, but that's certainly the biggest thing. I mean, pitfalls to avoid. I honestly, I, I even, even in the places where I made really grave errors and how I navigated certain situations, like I, I remember when I you know, first went to, to Critio, it was my first time being in a company where it had a real political element to it. And I, and polit politics always has this sort of negative connotation. And I certainly felt that at the time, but really it's just a function of, of, of building stakeholders and navigating all those, those, those things and uh, collaborating well with folks and getting aligned with folks. And so we, you know, prior to that, I, I had a, I had a big job at a company called career builder and we were set up in these sort of remote areas. So it, it really never became an issue for me. I could just build what I, what I needed, lead the teams that I needed to lead. I had, I had a lot of, a lot of great experiences there. Um, that was my first time realizing, you know, I, you have to, you have to start to build these relationships. And it was the first time I, I was brought into a company as an executive versus being brought in, you know, at an earlier stage and building my way up, so to speak. <clears throat> and, um, and I did not do it well. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think I, I stepped on a lot of toes and, and screwed up a lot during that process. We had a lot of success. I think the team's done great. You know, we had a great exit, et cetera. But, um, I learned a lot of hard lessons, you know, the hard way. And I could go back and give myself advice, but I probably wouldn't have listened to it anyway. And so, uh, you know, I think you have to go through some of those experiences. Um, I beat myself up on it for a long time, but I learned a ton and I think, you know, grew a ton in the process. And 
try to get better and better, you know, in terms of how you think about that stuff. Like I said, it, was, it wasn't a toxic environment. It was just, there was a lot of different players involved and you had to think through how to, how to navigate that stuff. And it's just not experience that I had prior to that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's good. Good advice. And yeah, it's tough to give our former selves uh, advice because all of those mistakes we made, you know, ideally you learn from them, uh, right? Yeah. So you don't, you almost don't want to rob yourself of the the mistakes because that's where all the, the growth happens. But I, I feel you on the deeply on the not acknowledging goals and and progress. I think that's something I was talking to our Paul, our platform and, and newest partner at the fund of just constantly go, 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 raise the bar, raise the bar, do more things. And uh, yeah, we could be a lot better at, you know, just pausing and be like, oh, wow, that was that was super cool. I mean, yeah, like um, what, what, what the team has done at uh, GTM fund is incredible. Um, and and you know, even even there, I mean, I <clears throat> being seeing a lot of the inside stuff there. I mean, what where you're where you? I know I know the ambitions are big and, and the opportunity is massive, um, and so you, you all will go after that. But I, I think appreciating and recognizing how far you've come in a very short period of time and really taking stock and celebrating that is it's special. I, mean, I <clears throat> you know I've been part of a lot of funds, the community that you all built and the way in which. Um, you know, the, we, we are able to really add what I believe is add real value to the fund. Uh, the portfolio is special. You guys, you guys should, should appreciate how, how special that is. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, you saying that and appreciate you being a big part of it. I think the wake up call for me of, of that realization is as our team has, is like growing, right? We have, you know, five of us now in this office, we've got Max, we've got another one remote. And if, if you don't do those things because you're hardwired a certain way, and I've, I've always been hardwired that way, it's like, okay, as soon as I'm close to the goal, I just consider it done and I'm on to the next goal. That will bleed into the team. And I know that's an unhealthy behavior. I know that doesn't make me happy, but it's just how it does. And so that's, I think, where it has come to my attention of like, ah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have that be a culture, you know, and I get, I, I imagine that's what shifted some of, of your thinking because it must have been crazy. I see this on this little micro scale and I've, I've built teams before and past roles and that we're building here again, but not certainly not at the scale that you have. And it must be kind of freaky when you're running, you know, teams of a hundred, how much people are a reflection of you and the actions you're doing. Like, even so much of like, you're not eating lunch. Like Scott always eats lunch at your desk. Then you look around and you're like, oh shit, 50% of the does. office now eats their lunch at their desk. And like these little things that you don't think anyone's watching, like they're watching. How is that at scale? And and when did you sort of notice that? It must have been freaky. It, there's been a couple of times. There's been a couple of like points of realization where I, I was like, what is going on here? And I was like, ah, oh, that's what's going on here. Um, so... <laughs> I remember the first time it happened, you know, I'm sitting, uh, I was a VP at the time and I, I, you know, it was a bigger company and, and somebody came in and they were presenting, you know, on their, their business unit to me, um, as kind of like at the, at the time we did these like quarterly planning and, re, you know, review and planning processes, pretty standard. And, and anyway, presenting and I'm, I'm realizing they're so nervous. I'm like, why are they so nervous? Like, what are they doing? What's the, what are they? And I'm looking at myself and looking at others. I'm like, yeah, why is I'm like, ah, oh, shit, they're nervous because of me. And I wanted to like stop the meeting and be like, look, here's the deal. 
if you knew what a dumpster fire of a human I have been for so long <laughs> in my life, like you would not for a second like be nervous. In fact, if anything, you would just come in and be like, you check in with me. Are you okay right now? You know, like, that, like you would never be anxious about it. So it was like my first, like, oh, I got to start being careful. And then, and then, you know, exactly as you described, in fact, um, uh, Dick Stella said it the best one time he was explaining a story when he was at Twitter running Twitter and, and as several times ago, obviously. And I remember he, the story he told, and it was about the power of your influence and how to, how to like really appreciate because everybody's always watching and listening, right? Not, not only for the things that you do or you say, but the things you don't do or you don't say. And that, that has so many layers and ripples to it. And it, and it can be exhausting and you have to just really, um, you really have to show up and be very intentional when you're at work, right? Because everybody's sort of plugged into you. They're, you are the source of energy in a lot of those cases. And so, you know, it goes back to like, you've got to be really disciplined about how you make sure you have your own energy and your own sources of energy. But, but anyway, so, so Dick made a comment where he was in the, in the office and they were, he was getting coffee or something like that. And it was, it was sort of later in the day. And, and he made a comment about, man, there's all these flies in the office. And then he said, Oh, you know, it must be these plants. They must be, you know, the flies must be like brought in with the plants. That's it. Just making conversation. Next day he comes in, there's not a single plant in the entire office. <laughs> somebody like shot a note to somebody like, Dick hates the plant, you know, like get it all out of here. And the whole thing, and it was like my favorite story. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, he's a uh, more scale there and, and, but it was, but it's such a true thing and, and you really have to be so careful and, you know, again, I, I use the word intentional uh, about what you're trying to communicate, what you're trying to say. And oftentimes trying to explain it, you're never going to make everybody happy. You're never going to be, you know, that, but I think, I think you just recognize that, but you know, exactly to that point, the reason why you really want to make sure you're taking breaks, stopping, and even, even things like, you know, when you send emails out to your team and when you send slacks and, and helping people, um, to understand kind of your own operating uh, manual, your own operating process, because, you know, I, I don't sleep a lot. Like that's a lot of folks know that about me. I, I two, three hours of sleep a night is kind of my thing. And you're like, Oh my God, that's so terrible. It's like, this is how I've always been built. And I'm not lying awake, you know, miserable I'm, or, or like my brain's not racing. I just don't sleep a ton. And so I work, you know, when my, when my brain works and so, you know, I'll get up and I'll clear out a bunch of emails. Well, I started to delay the emails and the slacks and such so that people weren't getting them. Cause if I send you an email on a Saturday, I don't expect you to get back to me on Saturday, get back to me on Monday or when, you know, I'll let you know if it's urgent, but that's not how people operated. And so I found myself at one point with everybody, you know, always responding on all these different tools. There's this, this expected kind of like response time that I never intended. So those types of things, you know, you really have to be thoughtful about. I think on the same vein, you know, there's certain things that I, you know, you have to know that you're modeling activity and, and you can, you can leverage it to your advantage, you know? So I take, I take reviews even with my C-suite very seriously. And I make sure that we, you know, I get, I gather feedback from folks around them, different stakeholders. I make sure that they're getting, you know, I try to be as real time as possible, but also thoughtful and in sort of more formal reviews and such. And I do it, obviously I do it because I care and I'm, I'm very much about, you know, growth mindset and, and making sure we're always growing, learning, getting a little bit better every day. But, but I also do it to make damn sure that that make that behavior is being modeled, right. And that it's being done consistently for everybody, because those are the things that really matter. Um, you know, providing feedback, coaching, development, 
real candid, like a clear mirror to people so that they can grow. Those things are really critical for companies to have trust, to have growth. And so, you know, it, it works to your advantage too, but you have to be be smart and thoughtful about how you do it. Couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, that last point is is key and can be so easy to slip up if you're like, I don't know, in lockstep with your CRO or your COO and you're talking literally daily. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can feel like almost like a a performance to do this like performance review. Like I know what's going on. We 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 talk every second, but it's important to be super diligent because it's not just about, you know, checking in with where they're at, but it's modeling the performance that they're gonna then push down to their reports that right. they're gonna push down to theirs and and so on and so forth. That's that's big. And uh, if we had more time, I would definitely grill you on this two, three hours sleep. I remember you telling me that before. Um, that's just insane. Yeah, uh, That's like always just been a thing. Yeah, maybe it's three, three, four or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's I, there's never been a lot of sleep in my life. Um, yeah, ever, ever since I was like a baby. I mean, it's just like, and at this point, it's not probably not going to change. Like, I, I don't think I'll die younger, maybe. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, just kind of how I'm built. So... Yeah, um, people are built different, but we should get we should get you in a lab. We should get you in a lab, figure, figure out what's going on. Maybe we well, follow you know, that there up. Are people, there are people that don't need as much sleep because I've done some studies on this. I, and then, like every so often, I'll crash. But what's funny is like I'll sleep for like you know if I sleep for a long time, it's like six hours, seven maybe. And but I'm always tired when I do. I'm like more tired when I catch up on on sleep. I don't know. It's just like a whole thing. Interesting. Yeah. Conversation for another day. I'm I'm a very terrible sleeper as as well. Um, or maybe or maybe you're just really efficient. If you can get you can get what other people can do in eight hours and three. Like I think I'm just an efficient sleeper. That's kind of be that's the story I'm <laughs> for at least now. An optimized sleeper. I I want to pull us back um, to this theme of of team building and that yeah. that term that idea. It's kind of like it's it's vague right? Like, what does that mean? Um, but I would love to attack it through sort of a lens of, you know, early stage teams, you advise for a bunch, you invest in a bunch, you built a bunch. Um, and really, you know, when you break it down, all businesses are, are just a collection of humans all working together mm-hmm. towards the same goal. And ideally, that goal spits off some capital, you know, uh, it's really like all it is. Um, and so the team if that is true, is like it's the most important thing. How have you approached team building in the past? And we'll we'll talk through what you think works, and then on the flip side, what you would sort of advise against. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to it, and, and there's layers and levels. But I would say, I think I think two things: observations. One, a lot of times, uh, you know, companies grow at rates successful companies, especially, you know, if you're in the upper quartile or decile, you, you know, you're growing at rates that are, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's unfair to expect humans are going to grow at the same rate. Right. Uh, yeah. There's just, there's just things that, that evolve, you know, you're, you're, you, you, are brand new, you got a handful of folks, then, then you're you know, suddenly you're a 10 person company. Now you're a 25 person business. You know, you still basically, even in a virtual room, people can get on the room. You can see the tiles on your screen. Like everybody can kind of know everybody. And then you reach these inflection points as you scale. We go from 25 to 50 and 50 to 100. And what people don't realize is like that road from 1 to 10, 
you're not, you don't, you're not becoming a different company. You're becoming dozens of different companies during that time. And it happens in like rapid succession and certain teams inevitably uh, balloon faster than others for need. Companies also inherently, and it's just, again, the function and nature of where you are in your journey, you're building for, for certain things. So uh, you start out, you, you primarily are hiring, you know, go to market to acquire customers, whether that's you've got a product led motion or you've got a marketing led motion sales, whatever, the, whatever the, the sort of channel, like you're building to acquire. It's only later that you start to think about, oh, shit, I've got to retain and grow and, and navigate and expand. And so like inevitably you know, more times than not CS comes later instead of earlier. Uh, and, and so that's your go to market function. You don't, you know, when you're hiring a marketer, you're starting out often with a demand generation, especially, you know, a growth or dem gen sort of uh, focused marketer. As you scale, you need more of that sort of product marketing experience to really connect the dots, get your positioning, your messaging, right. Your strategy down, you get really, you know, maybe it's brand. It depends on, again, on the business. But, but my point is like these different disciplines become, required people's the same side right you know if, if you're smart enough to hire in the people organization early which i always recommend um you solve a lot of your problems but oftentimes you'll hire somebody that comes up in recruiting because you're trying to acquire talent right and you're trying to bring people in the fold so you're a recruiter and then you have a, an hr leader that's that's really a recruiter um and it's not to say that you can't make that leap but that's hard that's a tough leap to make your head of finance is often uh you know, either a bookkeeper or, you know, they're, they're a good modeling person, but they don't understand how to scale a financial operation. You know, just, you end up in these pockets where you end up with talent that might be appropriate for right now, but a year later, two years later, they might be wildly out of their depth and some folks can adapt and grow, yada, yada. And so, so how do companies combat that? Well, they, they go and they hire really senior folks from big companies that get romantic about joining a startup. And, and I, we, that's a whole, we can go deep on that one about why people from big companies often fail to transition into smaller, earlier stage companies. And it's a, it's a, it's like an epidemic. And then, and then, you know, or you end up trying to layer people who have glorified titles underneath other people. Right. So, uh, like I, we talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, like I, I, I talk to a bunch of companies, CEOs, founders that are looking to hire a COO and I'm constantly like, you do not want a COO because you're solving the wrong problem, but it, we can come back to that in a sec. But so, so when I think about the scale, I think what's important when you're team building is to make sure you understand what, what are you really solving for in hiring? Cause I think we, we have this default to like throw, throw bodies at problems. I think it's becoming a little bit less as capital is a little bit more constrained, people being thoughtful around it, but it, it's still sort of a, a real thing. And so as a founder, I always say, folks, if you're whatever you're spending the most of your time on as a founder, whatever's like sopping up a lot of your energy and, and energy uh, and, and uh, time, you need to then really think about, do I want to hire? Do I need to hire into that area of the business? And that's when you're when you're brand new. That's how you think about things. And I don't think I think folks are, are so quick to be like, oh, we need to put up this org chart and all these you know teams and functions. And we got we need this role and this role and this role. I'm like, well, why do you need that role? Uh, and more often than not, it's because they're they're future proofing or they're they're trying to like get ahead of it or that's just what somebody told them they should do. And I, I was like, guys, you, I think this I, this this conventional functionality about how you structure teams and business is just broken. It doesn't have to be the way that you build things, especially early stage. You need a lot of collaboration. Everybody's kind of involved in everything. There's only so many priorities you can you can navigate as a company. 
you hire all these senior level leaders for all the different areas, they're going to have agendas for their departments that may or may not matter right now for what the, what matters to the company. So when you're hiring, you know, I always, I, I have a, a template that I use and I, I basically make everybody use it. And I say, you, first you have to propose why you're hiring for the role, even if it's an existing role that we've, we've got inside the business and you can make that distinction. And then secondly, you go, okay, what is this person going to do for the next six to 18 months? Because anything beyond that, you're, you're like, you're lying to yourself and everybody else involved that, that you have any idea what this person's going to do. Frankly, beyond like 12 months, you're, you're sort of, you're guessing. But, but, but what I would say is if you're talking about the next six months or 12 months, be explicit, be really clear cut about what it is they're building, why that, that matters, what's, what's got to get done. How are you, how do you think about that? Like really be thoughtful of what you're hiring for. Then you want to think about, okay, what are the skills and attributes that this person needs to have that bring, they bring to the table? And I say skills and attributes intentionally. Like I don't talk about experiences. I, I think people get caught up in experience. Uh, they come from this industry. They did this type of project before. Yada, yada. It's, it's like, it's all bullshit. First of all, they didn't do it. Nobody did anything on their own. Um, you can get really mired or get excited about somebody that comes from a space, but didn't build anything there. They're just in there. And maybe through osmosis, they're picking things up. But, you know, just because somebody runs BI at a, at a huge company with a great BI infrastructure doesn't mean they know how to build a BI function inside your company. Right. And so we'll talk about profile in a second, but I think really nailing down what are the skills and the attributes that this person bring to the table that you're hiring for above all else? Because that's the other thing, and you know, uh, Ben Horowitz talked about this in the hard thing about hard things is like you, you, if you're not really clear cut about why you're hiring and who you're trying to hire for, like what are the skills, then you end up in a, in a gnarly situation where you got 15 people with 15 different views of what a head of product marketing is supposed to bring to the table, and you haven't defined what you're looking for, and so people will say, ah, I didn't like him because they didn't have this or they didn't have that, and so you end up hiring somebody that's kind of average at everything versus excellent in the thing that you need to be excellent in. And so, you know, being really clear cut about that. I also will, you know, the other thing is I'll say, well, uh, why this over any other role? So why, why this role? Why is this role the priority? Um, why this as an incremental hire versus repurposing an existing headcount or role that matters? And then I get into, um, and then you can get into the job. But I think those are really important facets for being very smart about who you're hiring for and why you're hiring that person. Otherwise, you can get, caught up in, you know, trying to get make a headline versus trying to build a team that's going to work really well. And then you got to revisit those folks because if they're, if they're in the role for 18 months or, or, or two years, uh, you got to go back and, and really assess in the same way. Okay. Well, what does the VP of sales do for me now? Like what, what do we need to have today? Is the, is our person that person? Um, and if you believe they are, but they just don't have the skill sets or experiences, you got to go and invest in supporting them to grow and if not, you know, you just got to continue to be honest and open with people about where things are, what your expectations are, how that's evolving or changing. And so, I mean, but I think, I think that framework helps and it gets everybody aligned who's hiring. It gets everybody, uh, it helps the candidate to understand what success looks like. It helps you to really think through what you're, what you're hiring for and, and sort of stack rank that against other priorities you have, you know, all of it. So I, I just find it's a very helpful project to go through when you're anytime you're thinking about hiring anybody i like it there was a couple things there um yeah it's almost like there's sounds like there's like three stages you see in in growth in terms of talent you're going to have like the acquisition is kind of the first wave people that always are thinking of like net new acquiring customers and then you're going to bring in more and more kind of 
folks that are better at like retaining, thinking more kind of long term. And then the, the third one, you're going to get more people that are looking for growth and growing that existing, um, which I think is a good kind of model to, to think about. Well, I think it's, 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 it's as much about, it's not even necessarily like that's the order you should go. It's just sort of the natural evolution of teams as they, as they scale. And, and you just need to, to constantly check and challenge whether or not the team you hired at the time that you hired them is the team that you need going forward. And we obviously want everybody to continue to grow and, and evolve, but you know, it's, it's also okay for folks to learn a ton, do a ton, be great at what they've done. Um, but then, you know, go back to a company at a similar stage to where this company was when they started, bring all that knowledge experience, that ability to see around corners because they've seen this play out and they've done some, you know, they've learned from the, some of the mistakes and they're going to, they're going to have a lot more longevity in that next opportunity, a lot more value to bring and, and they'll go further. And over time, that's how, you know, people evolve. And it doesn't, I think it's always this, this like fear of, having people transition out of the company. And I think that's actually something to be celebrated when that happens, or if somebody's, you know, we bring somebody in above them, or we say, you know what, you were managing three different areas, but now we've, we've matured as enough as a company where we can actually go deep on this thing that you have superpowers in. And yeah, it means your scope is getting smaller, but you're going a lot deeper. And, and not only, not only be, have the courage to make those decisions, but celebrate them and communicate them at scale inside the company. So people understand that there are lots of different ways to think about growth and evolution and celebrate milestones inside the company. There's just so much more you can do to seize that. And it's always got this like negative sort of taboo connotation around it. And I think it's the opposite. Agreed. When I look around and some of the, the best operators I know, one of their greatest skills is just knowing what they're good at. You know, you know, I, I can think of, a number of people that I'm, I'm a zero to one guy. That's all I do. Or I'm a five to 10 and that's it. And I'm not going to take anything else. And as soon as you hit the 10, I'm out of here, you know, and yeah. you just refine that talent. And I think, yeah, a lot of times we through a sense of like loyalty or something, we want to keep these people forever, but it might not even be in their, their best interest. Let them go do it again. Uh, some, somewhere else. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a great point. I also love this idea you said of this kind of rubric for every role is why are we hiring this? What are they doing six to 12 months? Like be hyper, hyper specific on that. And then what are the skills and attributes that we need for them to do those tasks in the next six to 12 months? And I feel like a lot of companies and founders and teams, they like think of, okay, we're hiring a product marketer or we're hiring a VP of sales. What's the best makeup of a a VP of sales or product marketing and put that like this general hat on versus mm-hmm. putting it through the lens of, Hey, we need someone to do this exact job, um, is, is a powerful, subtle, like reframe. Uh, so I like that a lot. Um, all right, man, I, I wanted to quickly go back. So you mentioned this pitfall that a lot of folks fall into, uh, which is looking to bring on head of operations, COO, this magic uh, person who's going to fix all their problems. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> love to hear your thoughts. Well, you know, it happens a lot, right? Um, and uh, uh, <clears throat> there was a great article, um, and it was it was a it was a town hall that Redpoint did. Tomas did with uh, Allison Pickens, who's the uh, she was the COO of Gainsight early days. She's written a ton on the COO 
role. And the years ago, there's sort of this like rise of the COO, uh, which she, she's more eloquently than I have, have spoken to, but there's a lot of really great resources around it. But, but inevitably what she talked about is there's these four archetypes. I'd argue there's now a fifth, but she had these four archetypes. One was the sort of like glorified chief of staff. One was uh, sort of the CFO plus profile, which I think is you know, generally understood. There was the CRO plus profile. And then there was kind of this like number two or CEO profile. And, and each of them had their own pros and cons, you know, so the CRO would own go to market. Oftentimes they would own, you know, a couple of other adjacent areas like, you know, go to market ops or rev ops, um, maybe BI, you know, maybe some sort of version of biz ops or PMO, what, what have you. Uh, the CFO would, would often own HR and legal and, you know, again, BI and, and some of the operational uh, programming. And then you've got the, the CEO number two, which is basically like, I'll run whatever you're not great at as the CEO, wherever you don't spike, and I'll run the day-to-day company. And that was always kind of my my profile as a as the COO profile. Um, I, I think I think there's a fifth now, which is which is not really. Uh, I think I think the track isn't as clear as it should be, um, but I think there's a CHRO plus profile. You know, there, there's there's a growing world of CHROs who are just world-class business minds who also deeply understand how to build out the whole people function and, and given all of your execution stems through the, the through your people uh, or at least largely through your people. I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity. I, I think, I think most COOs of the future will, will have grown up as chief people officers, but with a really deep appreciation for business strategy and, and the metrics and having a, just a much more comprehensive grasp. And I've, I've been fortunate to hire them and to have worked with uh, really, really powerful, uh, sort of impactful uh, people leaders in my career, and um, I think it's a it's the secret weapon of of uh, for for the founders that get it to lean into that stuff really early and hire yourself and not not go the recruiter route. Although some recruiters can make that leap for sure, I know a ton um, that have, but you know, that grew up in that sort of HRBP function where they're really designed to be the general manager of the team and help you think about building and organizing your team to win. So, but anyway, so, so, you know, I think what happens though, in a lot of cases is that instead of hiring the COO, because first of all, COO is like the most nebulous, uh, ambiguous role that exists because every other role has like pretty clear disciplines. As I just mentioned, there's all these archetypes and ways you can spike and flow. And so, what happens a lot is a COO gets to a certain size and they say, holy shit, this is the biggest company I've ever run, right? And that might be at 10 people, it might be at 100 people, but somewhere they're like, what's happening? And the other thing that starts to happen is we talked about before, you reach these different inflection points in the company's growth and they realize, hey, the team I have today isn't really up to, to we're not operating at the level that we need. I know what we'll do. I'll hire a number two to come in and like fix it. Um, and, uh, I was, I was chance, I think with you before is like the analogy that I use is that Simpsons episode where they have these, these like dangerous birds that, that start, um, getting overpopulated in, in Springfield. And then they go and they get these lizards that eat the birds and then the lizards become, you know, overrun and they, you know, they're everywhere. And so then they go and get these snakes to kill the lizards. And it's just like this net, never anything. And so really what I, what I say to folks is like, first, let's talk about what you're trying to solve for, what the problems are. And more often than not, the COO is a role that they're hiring for to compensate for a team that has not kept up with the growth rate of the company. And rather than have an honest conversation 
with that team and really kind of manage it directly, which I, which again, I, I just think this constant state of feedback and always letting people know where, where they sit, what's going well, what you're concerned about, what your expectations are in the role. That should be a regular conversation with every leader, especially at the executive level, but frankly, everywhere. And, but instead of that, they say, I'm going to bring in somebody else to help level up the team. And, um, and you may still need that, right? And, there, and I don't mean to say that you don't need to hire a COO, but you have to be very, very intentional and very thoughtful about why you're hiring that COO, what their job is. And specifically for the COO and, and the pro, like if, if it's a really a glorified CRO, just hire the CRO. Make them a CRO. If you have a CRO today that really is more of a VP of sales, then have a conversation with them about them accepting the VP role. And if they can't because their ego can't stomach it or any number of things or they can't handle the optics, well, then you figure out uh, a fair and honest transition plan for them and you take care of them and you do right by them. Um, you know, because if they're doing a good job, but they're not able to make the turn, then, then that's okay. Going back to what we talked about before, they might be better suited to go to an earlier stage company um, and, and they'll get to go out you know, at a time when they've done really well. So they're going to you know, get to go to an earlier stage company and repeat what they've learned and even better and, and probably give themselves time to scale. Hopefully, because I, you know, I've been layered in my career and I hated it when it happened and I, and I can't imagine my career without it now. Uh, you know, I've got to work for some amazing people during that time. But I think that that's where you often fall down. And so I think that's like the first thing. Um, and then, and then if you are going to hire it, you have to be really thoughtful about, well, what is that COO going to own? And not just own, like, I have this responsibility for it, but what about decision-making, authority? What's the interaction model going to be between the CEO and that team or the set of teams in that, in that environment? You know, these are things that you want to talk about before you get in the role, before you take the job, not afterwards. If you're aspiring to go be a COO or number two, you really have to make sure you're forcing that. And... And you are better off spending three months figuring out it's not going to work than taking the job and spending three months realizing it's not going to work. And so, you know, being really thoughtful around that and then revisiting it regularly. Hey, we spent a quarter like this. What's working? What's not working? Right. Don't be knee jerk reaction like change. But you have to have that steady dialogue. You have to know for the founder, you know, oftentimes they don't have, you know, they probably have a co-founder. Um, and maybe that person spikes in a different area. They, they did something, you know, early on really well, but they might not be the true business partner that they wish they had. Right. So that you, you're coming in as a COO, that sort of president COO role is often that like business partner they wish they had that partner to the CEO to really think about where we want to take this thing. And then, Hey, you run the stuff here. I'm going to focus in these areas that, that are my superpowers that I've done really well in. And let's let's just make sure we continue to Batman and Robin, you know, switching roles in in the different areas where where it makes sense. I just I think a lot of folks don't make that don't have those hard conversations, both in terms of what the COO role is and, and whatnot. And, and it just ends up getting really complicated because you start to realize they're going to make decisions that you might not agree with as a CEO founder. You're not going to have as much connect to, uh, connection to all the different areas of the business because you're entrusting somebody to go and run that. I've been in plenty of places where I was the, the number two. I had C levels reporting to me, uh, and I didn't want to block them from having you know regular cadence, regular, regular interaction with with the CEO. So you've got to really be thoughtful about what that model looks like and how to how to balance those conversations and make sure that you, you know you're handling that well, because you can create a lot of challenges for that team if they start to feel like, 
I've got two parents now that I've got to convince to say yes, kind of a deal, right? So again, that who has authority, decision-making, how do you create kind of like, how do you manage the communication interaction models? All that stuff really should be thought through. You know, and I think a lot of times, like I said, it's, it's sort of a, a secondary thought. And then going back to the profile, you know, what is it explicitly you need this person to solve in the next six months, 12 months as a COO or any other role? And do they bring the exact skill sets for that problem? Because again, we all get starry eyed hiring the headline maker from, you know, the big company, Google or something like that. But more often than not, those folks struggle to make that transition into those those leadership roles. And it, oftentimes in the times where they don't, it, it's a failure on both sides. One, the big company person gets romantic about less bureaucracy and you know making an impact and being closer to the front lines. What they don't realize is like when they join the company in this new role, they're going to spend 70% of their first year teaching people what their job actually is versus what they perceived it to be. Uh, and building capability around them, not even within their function, so that they can even do their job a year from now. Meanwhile, there's a backlog of things that the company has amassed of work that they want to see done by this role, by this person, based on whatever perception they had of what the role is supposed to do versus what the person that was hired thinks it is. So you got this disconnect there. You got a laundry list of things. And within six months, they're not delivering, they're not knocking out any of the quick wins that they thought they would knock out because they're busy teaching people how to do their jobs, so they can do their, <laughs> their job. It's a mess. And so again, what is it you're hiring for? What is it you're trying to solve? What skill sets and attributes does that person bring to the table? And then when you go and hire a person out of a bigger company, if that makes sense, doesn't always, but if it does, you're at least really clear about why you've chosen that individual with that gift, those skill sets uh, versus anybody else. And, and you know, again, I always say to folks, like hiring somebody that's 10 years ahead of you is just not going to be useful to you. Even as an advisor, it's not helpful, really. You know, maybe they can think through some things. But, you know, hiring somebody that's two years ahead of you, two and a half, three years ahead of you, that's seen it from where you are to where they where they are now, super valuable. And then, you know, I always tell folks, like, I hire for grit. I don't, I don't need, I don't need polish. I need grit because this is, this gig is tough, right? Always. That was great, man. There was a lot to un- unpack there. And I agree. It's always grit. We just made our newest hire a new VP of marketing and she beat out hundreds of candidates from pure grit, pure grit. And that's, you know, I already know it was the, one of the better hires I've made in my career. Uh, optimizing for that grit is, is huge. Um, and yeah, I will go so far. And, and I, I was trying to think as you were saying it, if this is true, like the whole getting someone from a big enterprise, uh, company to come work at your startup. I don't think I've actually ever personally seen it work. Like just from companies I've actually been a part of, I don't think I've ever seen it work, which is a bold, bold claim. And I'm sure it has. I'm sure there's some listeners out there that have. No, but look, there, there's a, you know, but it becomes, it, it becomes two things really. It's a, a, it's a DNA thing, right? That again, that, that, you know, you're a large organization. You, you don't, you don't even realize how much time you have to spend in, in sort of the, the, the politic arena, right, of, of sort of building stakeholders, communication, making people aware, all those. And those are phenomenal skill sets to have, right? You've got great presence, great knowledge. You're a deep thinker. You can see the future. Like, you know, it's, it's just like all these wonderful things. But then the, the ball gets served over to you and you've got to volley that thing back. And, and it's like, no, no, you got to actually fucking do it. <laughs> like there's nobody to ask to do it. 
Yeah. And you'd be like, well, where do I get the data for this? And like, just laugh. Like, what fucking data are you talking about? Like, I'll build a process around this first. So let, let, give me six months, I'll build the process. <laughs> yeah. Who's our, who's our BI team? You're the BI person. You know, first person to speak is the BI person. Like, you know, it's just, it just these things that people don't, don't grasp. And, and, you know, even for me, I struggle with it. You know, I, I, I'm definitely much better at, at I, I have a lot more leverage when I have arms and legs around me, you know, people that I can, I can delegate to and work with, but there's, you know, there's, there's just endless amounts of shit that have to get done. And the only way it's going to happen is if you do it. And I think, I think a lot of folks struggle with making that transition. It sounds romantic until you're working on four projects at once and you literally don't have bandwidth to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you're in meetings all day and, and all that jazz, which is a whole other thing that I hate, but um <laughs> But so yeah, I mean, look, people people can make the transition, but it's it's really hard, and uh, and they often don't deeply understand it. Like I, I, every candidate I've ever talked to that comes from, and I've had I've had successful folks, you know, working with me in the past, and and they brought something specific that we were hiring for that we wanted and needed, but they, you know, they always have shell shock when they join because. Um, you know, again, people don't know what they do. They have to teach people. People don't have what they need to, to support them. So they have to go and do that. People always make fun of me. I do this, this analogy about a nuclear submarine that I got to visit uh, a long, long time ago. It's part of my leadership development. And I remember um, being on the bridge and everybody, all the, all the lieutenants had their monitors and they're kind of thinking about like their key metrics they monitor as it related to, to operating the boat. But we were in the engine room and you know, subs don't have like extra room. There's not like a room, like a bonus room that they're thinking about, you know, it's a war machine, right? And so everything has a very specific purpose. But what was fascinating about the, the person that ran the engine room was she was she was rattling off, not only did she understand obviously what the what her engine room needed to do, she understood what every single room on the boat needed in certain critical situations from her and what she should expect from them. Like it's just the, the working knowledge of all the different teams and what they had to do in certain situations, which are, keep in mind, it really is life and death for them in a lot of cases. Uh, so the motivation is certainly pretty high. But uh, but it was fascinating. It was this big eye opener for me around how many problems exist inside companies when because people are either not well educated into the what the other side is doing and why and what they need from you and why, or there's no there's a communication breakdown in terms of how information is relayed back and forth in language that both sides could understand. I much prefer hiring candidates that have had to build their career brick by brick, that have had to navigate, you know, a lot of adversity. Nothing against our, my, you know, a lot of friends at Google and other places, but they don't, they don't ever have a problem with somebody answering the phone when they call. You know, the folks that have had to sell in competitive markets with maybe they weren't selling the number one product in the market at the time, those are the challengers, like those are the folks that'll figure it out. Right, because they've seen it, and you give them a great product and great opportunity, and they're going to take off. So, you know, I, I think of uh, yeah, being really thoughtful about those skill sets and why you hire them is, is important. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you for spending the time. That was that was awesome. I could probably just continue riff riffing with you and take the rest of your day, but I know you're a super busy guy. Um, but uh, man, I'm really happy we. We got this done. Tons of value in there. Congrats again on on such an incredible run. Are you? Is this uh, is this your last run? You think at at no fraud? How many of these you got in you, man? You're you're an animal. I don't know the answer to that question. It, I I feel like I do know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably, probably 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 <laughs> another one. I mean, 
Look, we'll see. I, you know, no fraud. Is, like, don't hang on to the name too long. We're gonna we're gonna change it here because we're the, what the company is and is where we're going is is changing every day. But um, there's something really special about the the window where you're going. Taking comes from ten to hundred, hundred to a couple hundred million. It, it's just it, it attracts a certain type of of people to the business, right? Which is really special, right? These are hungry, ambitious, gritty people that. You know, again, I, I feel so lucky to have had an opportunity to work again and again with a lot of really talented folks who, who've been silly enough to want to work with me more than once, which uh, probably some psych eval stuff that needs to happen there. But the uh, <laughs> but, you know, you get to have such an impact on the on the business. Being a disruptor is fun. But but more than that, like there's so much growth that can happen in your career, no matter what level you're at in a business when you're in a company of this size and scale. And I, I just love that part. I love putting the teams together. I love the sort of hair on fire run. And um, I, you know, I tried to be unemployed after, after we sold frame and uh, that lasted like two weeks. I optimized our cable bill. I was negotiating with like the, the person that cuts our grass. I was like <laughs> trying to figure out the right, the best optimized schedule for our kids activities. And, and my wife was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, this is not your stuff. Like, all right, all right, I'll go. Um, so I, I think I'm just hardwired and don't know that I'll ever really fully stop. You got the sickness. I call it the sickness. <laughs> it is definitely illness for sure. A, yeah, there's no issue. Good, good kind of sickness. Uh, most of the time, sometimes not so much, but, um, awesome, man. Well, Scott, always good chopping it up. Thanks for spending the time. Truly. Uh, I hope to see you very soon in person and for all those listeners that hung out with us. Uh, thank you for lending us your eardrums. Uh, you know, listening is one thing. Think through some of the things we talked to, you know, apply it to your specific business and go out there and execute. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot, Scott. Be well, man.